0: Will you please take your Bibles and open them with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter number 12. We're going to be reading verses 18 through 27 this morning, Mark 12, 18. Over the past several weeks, we've been sort of watching the tension between Jesus and the spiritual leaders of Israel escalate with a series of conflicts in the temple during Passover week. This is, again, keeping the timeline ordered in our minds just a few days before the Lord Jesus will be betrayed, arrested, and crucified This passage here in Mark 12, beginning at verse number 18, contains the second of three consecutive or successive questions by the religious leaders in the temple in which they attempt to trap Jesus and his words, only to create trouble for him. So please follow along with me as I read, beginning at verse number 18, Mark 12. And the Sadducees came to him, and Mark says, who say they, that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died left no offspring, and the second took her and died, leaving no offspring, and the third likewise, and the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as a wife. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Notice Jesus did not say that we would be angels, but that we would be like angels in heaven. Verse 26, and as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. Let's pray. Father, once again, we come before your throne asking for help, asking for the illuminating work of your Spirit to come now. Show us the meaning, teach us what is to be treasured above all things from this text. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Would you agree that one of the most embarrassing experiences that one can have in life is being, is being proven wrong in public. Now You may think, well, an embarrassing experience is, you know, a wardrobe malfunction, as those seem to be happening these days. But one of the most embarrassing experiences is being proven wrong in front of a lot of people. And it's actually a very common experience. And it's especially embarrassing when you are in a place of high leadership. But whether you're a leader, whether you're in leadership or not, we can all probably safely agree that no one likes to be proven wrong. It's one thing to be told that you're wrong. It's a different thing to be proven that you're wrong in front of everybody. But why don't we really like this? Why can't we except the fact that we're sometimes just plain wrong. And learn from the experience. We can't say those three words, I was wrong. Well, friend, there's one word that's the reason why, and it is pride. In our fallen sinful pride, we would rather remain stubborn in our ignorance than to humbly admit to being wrong. And that's exactly the scenario that we find today in our passage. A group of religious leaders. These were Sadducees. These were a dominant part of the Sanhedrin, the ruling body in Israel. It was as high as you could get in Israel. And they had their arrogant ignorance confronted and corrected by the Lord Jesus here in this passage. Last week, Jesus exposed the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And today, He exposes the ignorance of the Sadducees. And friends, by grace and grace alone, we need to be careful to see our own arrogant ignorances in this passage. And then to flee to Christ, to take refuge in the good news that Jesus is extending His grace to us this morning and calling us to faith in Him. So I want us to look at this passage by way of of just two main thoughts, two main headings. And the first is that ignorant unbelief is exposed by foolish questions. Ignorant unbelief is exposed by foolish questions. Verse 18 introduces us to a group called the Sadducees. Now, this is the only time that Mark actually mentions the Sadducees by name, but they have already been very active in this Passover week narrative as members of the Sanhedrin. And here they specifically come to Jesus with a question crafted to trap Him in His words. You ever try to trap somebody in their words? You think, well, I've got something they'll never be able to figure their way out of. Well, this is number two of three questions. Last week it was the Pharisees and the Herodians. This week it's the Sadducees. Look at verse number 18. And Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection. Mark that phrase. The Sadducees, they say that there is no resurrection. They do not believe in a resurrection. And they asked Jesus a question saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. Here's the story. They gave the text. They gave the scripture. Now here's the story. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife and he died, left no offspring. The second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third, likewise. And all the way up to the seven, leaving no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, which Mark has already told us the Sadducees don't believe in. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as a wife. These Sadducees are describing a custom called Leveret Marriage. Leveret Marriage. Perhaps you've heard of it before. Probably not. It's not something we practice here in America, in Western culture. But it is described in Deuteronomy chapter 25, and here's how it worked. If a man had a wife, but died, if he died before she was able to bear him a son, who would be his heir, then his unmarried brother would need to take his wife, his widowed wife, as his own so to provide a legal heir for his deceased brother. Why? So that the family inheritance would stay within the tribe. Now, yes, that, that sounds strange and very foreign to us today. But in the wisdom of God, this was a gracious provision designed to protect widows and ensure that the family line would not be broken. The most well-known example of this custom in the Bible, does anybody know? The most notable example of this in the Bible is the marriage of Ruth and Boaz, her kinsman redeemer. You can read their story in the book of Ruth. Well, the issue with the Sadducees was not marriage. It was not leveret marriage. The issue with them was the resurrection. You see, Mark tells us that the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. Do you guys believe in the resurrection? Is there anyone here? You don't have to answer. Answer here in your heart. Do you believe in the resurrection, that there is something beyond what we are right now? that there is life after the end of this life. The Sadducees didn't believe it. In Acts chapter 23, verse 8, Luke says the very same thing. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't even believe in the angelic order. They didn't believe in angels. And so here they come to Jesus with this absurd hypothetical situation that they thought, in their mind, disproved the the possibility of, of life after death. There's no way there can be life after death. And here's their logic. We call this, uh, you have perhaps you've heard it in logic, this is called the reduction to absurdity. The reduction to absurdity. It's an attempt to disprove a claim by showing that following it to its logical conclusion is absurd. In this case, a woman whose husband dies Seven of his brothers take her as a wife, but they have no male children. They have no male sons. All of them die. Well, in the resurrection then, well, whose wife will she be? Will she be wife of all seven? The first? Which one is it? They thought this disproved the notion of a resurrection. And here's the irony of their argument. (laughs) they actually appeal to Scripture as proof. They said in verse 19, Moses wrote to us. Moses! What did Moses write? The first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, right? And see, the Sadducees accepted only these first five books of the Bible authored by Moses as authoritative. And so they concluded then that a future resurrection made zero sense if this sort of levirate marriage which moses did teach was true for then in the resurrection this woman would logically have to have seven husbands in the afterlife you understand the dilemma they thought they were putting jesus in but notice the arrogance of the sadducees implied here in this encounter friends this was their silver bullet they thought they had him because by this time in Jesus' life, in his ministry, he had already predicted his crucifixion and death and resurrection three times. And so they're thinking, they're thinking, well, we've got him cornered now because we're about to demonstrate the absurdity of the idea that the dead are raised. And so the notion of this Jesus being a crucified and resurrected Messiah is equally absurd. That was the the driving motive of this question. Not the resurrection, not marriage, but to discredit Jesus as the Messiah because He claimed He would be raised from the dead. But, friend, it was their entire question that was absurd. It wasn't the idea of resurrection that was absurd. Their scenario was ridiculously foolish. It was their unbelief that brought them before Jesus with such nonsense. And, friends, I want to suggest to you that we still see the same thing all the time, everywhere in our culture and our world today. Listen, some of the most absurd ideas come from those who approach the claims of Christ and the claims of Scripture in arrogant unbelief. Take, for instance, the idea of a Big Bang. You've heard it. The Big Bang Theory is not simply a television show. It is a philosophical, scientific worldview. It it, it is the foundation of an entire worldview. That an explosion, a bang, out of nothing, everything came from that, the big bang. That's, how, that's, that's our best attempt as intelligent, highly scientific human beings, that's our best shot at explaining the origins of the universe. Well, it just sort of banged into existence. Does that sound intelligent to you, friends? It sounds ridiculous. It sounds insane. It sounds absurd. What about molecules to man? Evolution. Molecules to man. Man. R.C. Sproul said that nothing could be more irrational than the idea that something comes from nothing. Yet this is the foundation of our life sciences today, that that it's being taught in our science classrooms in every public school in this nation. Something, not just something, but everything, that we see came from nothing. Oh, we claim to be the smartest the human race has ever been, but friends, if we reject the Lord Jesus Christ, if we reject the truth of Scripture like the Sadducees did, then we are like that little tabletop puzzle at Cracker Barrel that says when you leave four or more pens, you're just what? Plain dumb. Oh, we're just plain dumb. In fact, in Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says that arrogant ignorance is the natural result of the heart that rejects truth. Romans one twenty two says, claiming to be wise, they became fools. Yet, in our arrogant unbelief, we would rather persist in such ignorance than to submit to the reality of a divine creator who lays claim on every cosmic square inch of his universe, including our lives. Think about that. If you're in here, if you're breathing this morning, you're breathing his air. The light that's in your eyes is his light. The sound in your ears is his sound. Every cosmic square inch of this universe is His, including you and me. And He lays claim on it. That's why we come up with all these bizarre, absurd explanations for how we got here. The same reason the Sadducees claim, well, there's there's no resurrection Ignorant unbelief is exposed by foolish questions. But what about us this morning? Are we holding on to some foolish question in our heart just because we think it gives us a way out of accountability? It gives us a way out of submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Friends, that's what it's all about, isn't it? It's all about submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. What about you, young person? Do your questions about Christ reflect a genuine pursuit of truth? Or are you just trying to find a way to justify and defend your rejection of truth and just live your own way? Oh, friends, I fear that is the motivation behind many of the objections to Christ that we see today. It is arrogant, ignorant unbelief. Secondly, we see in this passage that ignorant unbelief is corrected by God's word and God's power. Ignorant unbelief is corrected by God's word and God's power. So after these unbelieving Sadducees, by the way, who were religious leaders... (laughs) After they had thought they had pinned Jesus against the wall with their carefully crafted question, he, he responded to them. Look at verse 24. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason that you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. It is a bold claim to look at someone in the face and say, you are wrong, isn't it? It takes a lot of guts to do that. But that's exactly what Jesus does here. And if I can, just for a few seconds, let me take you to seminary. The word wrong, wrong, here in New Testament Greek is plenao. Plenao. It means to wonder. It is the word where we get the English word planet. You can pick that up, right? You don't have to go to seminary to figure that out. Planao, planet. Because the ancients used to refer to the planets as wandering stars. These distant points of light that unlike the predictable positions of the stars every night, they seem to aimlessly wonder throughout the night sky. And Jesus marks two ways the Sadducees had wandered from the truth. The first is in their understanding of Scripture. These Sadducees were on, on one hand, they were like the liberal scholars of our day. They didn't believe in a supernatural resurrection, a life after death, But on the other hand, they were very conservative because they only accepted the five books of Moses to be authoritative and true. And Jesus says, you guys who claim to have the high ground of truth, you don't actually know the scripture at all. And he corrects them. In verse 26, he says, as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of who? book of Moses. He's talking about the Pentateuch here. In the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. See, These verses were written by Moses in Exodus chapter 3. Long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died. Yet God appeared to Moses in this bush that burns and identified himself as the god of not dead men but of living men abraham isaac and jacob who were still very much alive when moses wrote these words just not here on earth in a body like the in a body like moses so the scriptures that they claim to believe the Sadducees, those, those scriptures actually testify against them that they really do not believe. You see? So here's a quick thought of application for us. Friends, not everyone who claims to believe scripture actually knows scripture. Okay? Just because you can cite a verse in the Bible doesn't mean that verse actually means what you say it means. Scripture has to be rightly interpreted. It has to be rightly applied or else we don't know it at all. We just believe our misguided ideas that we read back into Scripture. That's called eisegesis, by the way. We got any budding theologians among us? That's eisegesis. When you read back into Scripture things that aren't there. That's what Jesus was correcting the Sadducees about here. They were reading their disbelief in the resurrection back into Moses when Moses actually taught just the opposite. The God of Israel is the God of the living, not the God of the dead. They were wrong. The second way the Sadducees had wondered from the truth is in their misunderstanding of the power of God. Jesus said in verse 19, You neither know the Scriptures nor the power of God. In their denial of the resurrection, because they thought it was, was impossible that a wife would have seven husbands in the afterlife, they completely disregarded the power of God to make such a scenario irrelevant. Okay? Okay. I want you to track closely with me because this is very culturally foreign to us. But this is where we as modern-day Christians need a bit of correction too, if I may be so bold to say, because look at verse 25. For when they rise from the dead, who is they? The brothers and the wife. When they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like... The angels in heaven. So when we read this verse today, we always default to the question, is there going to be marriage in heaven? That's what we think. Well, am I going to be married in heaven still? You see, this could be problematic for us too because, I mean, a great large portion of American society has been divorced, even among Christians, and remarried. We've had more than one spouse. So whose spouse are we going to be in heaven? The clear so our, our our question is, will there be marriage in heaven? And the clear implication here of Jesus is what? No. And this verse is often a stumbling block for individuals who can't even imagine life here on earth without their spouse, much less eternity. But, dear friends, may I suggest to you that we, like the Pharisees, do not know the power of God. We do not know the power of God. Most of us who are married, and I want to be very sensitive, especially those who have already had to say goodbye to their spouses in death, We want nothing more than to be reunited with them in eternity. But we have to be very careful not to limit the power of God. That somehow it is beyond His ability to take what we perceive to be the highest joy, the greatest intimacy in life, and to transform it into something that surpasses anything that we could ever imagine. This is the Word of God. Psalm 1611 says, In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Friends, human marriage is but a dim reflection. We see through a glass darkly. It is a dim reflection of the eternal union between the Lord Jesus Christ and His people. That's why the New Testament calls us the bride of Christ. And Revelation chapter 19 speaks of the marriage of the Lamb And his bride. But this passage, it always leaves us with questions, doesn't it? What about the permanence of earthly relationships? Will they continue in the new creation? Will my wife still be my wife? Will your husband still be your husband? All that we can conclude is that the sweet, eternal union with Jesus will be far greater. (laughs) Oh, friends, that eternal union with Jesus will be far greater than any human intimacy that we might experience here on earth. Now, if that causes you to hang your head in disappointment, then may I suggest to you that you are probably treasuring the wrong things. God's power is not limited by our inability to understand life in the new creation. So let us not be like the Sadducees who did not know the power of God and whom Jesus finished his rebuke of them. At the end of verse 27, look at these four words. You are quite wrong you are quite wrong he starts out by saying you are wrong and then he finishes by saying emphatically you are quite wrong friends i wonder what are we wrong about this morning are we treasuring something here on earth More than the one who bought us with his very life. Jesus came from heaven. We're celebrating this, this time of year. He came from heaven and sought for himself a bride who he redeemed with his own blood on Calvary's cross. He died for his bride. Do you know him today? Do you trust in Him? Do you treasure Him above all else in this life? Above your children, above your husband, above your wife, above your pets? Are you wrong this morning? Friends, being reconciled to a holy God who will one day judge sin is something that we cannot afford to be wrong about. And as we pray and sing, I want to call, I want to call us each, each one of us. No matter how long you've walked with the Lord, or if you've never trusted in Christ at all, if you're sitting here wondering, when's this going to be over? Friend, I'm talking to you. I want to call you to abandon the ignorance of any unbelief in your heart And believe that Jesus is greater than even the sweetest, most intimate experiences and relationships of this life. He is greater. And may God grant us faith to treasure Christ in this way. Let's pray together.